Um, and uh, do hang on to um, well, actually, actually, go back to the first passage uh, in Genesis uh, chapter one because we're going to begin there, and then we'll find our way to to, to Corinthians um, a little bit later on. Um, David said we're, we're continuing this series thinking about authentic humanity. Who are we? And last week we began with that idea of of God as a speaking God, speaking creation into being. Well, today we're thinking, what does He have to say? This speaking God. What does He have to say about us? Um, and there's plenty here. But I want to begin rather strangely. Um, imagine uh, that I arrived this morning and I kicked you. Strange, I know, but just stay with me for a little bit. Um, now, you can imagine, can't you, that as you are rubbing your shin, the next words that come out of my mouth are pretty significant. Because if I were to say, Oh, I'm so terribly sorry, I didn't see you. Oh, that was an accident. Then it's a very different thing than if I were to say, there, that'll serve you. Don't ever talk about my sermons like that again. You, you, you see, if my kicking of you was accidental, then, then what I'm really saying is it had no meaning. There was no purpose behind it. It's just an accident. Don't, don't try and understand it. Don't make any sense of it. It was an accident. That's what that's an accident is, isn't it? Very different to saying that it was purposeful, that it had meaning. Now, in the sense this morning, what, what we're trying to answer is, what are we? What sort of kick are we? Are we an accident? Or is there meaning and purpose behind us? Our world as you may have noticed, increasingly conceives of us as accidents. Uh, the evolutionary biologist Stephen Gould uh, describes us in this way, that we are a fortuitous cosmic afterthought, a tiny twig on the enormously arborescent bush of life, which I think is a posh way of saying you're an accident. Uh, the psychologist Susan Blackmore puts it like this. We are biological organisms, evolved in fascinating ways for no purpose at all and with no end in mind. We are simply here and that is how it is. And that's where a strictly material view of the universe takes us. Because our existence is, is simply the consequence of chance just the chance bumping together of some atoms, uh, the, the random evolutionary force upon some genes. They came together in a particular way and made you, and, and that's it. You have no significance. You're an accident. No one intended you. There was no meaning. Now, the Christian doctrine of creation assert something very, very different. By, by asserting a doctrine of creation, uh, the Bible tells us that we have both meaning and purpose. It says, someone planned this. Someone intended it. There, there is a creator who had both a design and a purpose. Uh, in what he brought about. And, and that's what we're going to explore uh, today. Now, one way of 
of conceptualising that purpose that we could think about is in terms of relationship. Uh, we could do it that way. Um, and we could say that uh, uh, this opening chapter seems to, to, to hint at three uh, core relationships. Uh, first, that we would rate, relate rightly to God. God speaks and instructs, and He expects His creatures to obey. Um, in the Genesis account, mankind's not the only creature that God speaks to, but mankind's the only creature that God gives specific instructions to, uh, who says that there are things that you, you should do and things that you shouldn't do. Uh, we didn't read it, but it's over there in, in chapter 2 and verse 16. You're free to eat from any tree in the garden but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and mankind's response to that command is something that we're going to look at next week. Uh, then the second instruction concerns uh, our relationships with one another, to re relate rightly there. Many have noticed that the mention of image-bearing in verse 27 of chapter 1 is immediately followed by a note about the creation of male and female. And that too is something that we're going to look at later on in the series. But the relationships between people are clearly key. And those relationships must be profoundly shaped. They will be profoundly shaped by a realization that the people around us are also made in the image of God changes the way that we think of people, changes the way that we think of those who are in some way vulnerable in our society. Um, in Genesis chapter 9 uh, and verse 6, the, the, the prohibition on killing another person is specifically linked uh, to the fact that you'd be killing someone who bears the image of God. So it is their image-bearing quality that provides this sort of protective um, uh, issue for them. But if people are accidents, if they're not created by God, and, and so we can put aside this idea of the, uh, anyone bearing the image of God, shove that to one side. If we're simply accidental quirks of nature, then do you see that we become vulnerable? Or, or even if, if it's only possessing certain qualities that qualifies us for the status of, of being human, being a person, as David was saying last week, we're vulnerable. Because if the newborn or the elderly or the disabled fail to reach that standard of value whatever it is, uh, then um, what reason is there for respecting their sanctity of life? Christian teaching finds it in this assertion that every person is made in the image of God. I, I, I do hope you see the importance of this. It, it, it sounds a little bit academic, maybe. It's not. Ideas have consequences. When a society abandons the notion of a creator, when it sets aside this idea of people being made in the image of God, things change. Ideas do have consequences. 
in our society, there is now less reason for my disabled daughter, who cannot speak, to be afforded to protection and to be treated with dignity than in a society that understands that every person is created in the image of God. That is what happens when we stop believing in that doctrine of creation. So two purposes. First, that we relate rightly to God. Secondly, that we relate rightly to one another. And then thirdly, that we relate rightly to the creation uh, in which God has placed us. Again, we, we see tight in here uh, the, the description of the way in which mankind made in the image of God is to relate to the world. Uh, and the, the phrase that comes is that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and the wild animals. Uh, same idea a, few, a couple of verses later in verse 28 where God says, fill the earth and subdue it. And there's something here about just as God took the chaos at the very beginning of, of Genesis and ordered it, we saw that last week, very ordered creation. So it seems to, to be in the image of God is, is also to have this ordering um, function, um, ruling over, putting in place, subduing, uh, keeping in uh, the right way uh, the all creation. Some worry. Maybe you're one of the people who worry. Some people worry that this language of a subdue and rule over uh, might lead to an attitude that is, is rather cavalier with creation or exploitative uh, of uh, the world in which we have been placed. But the controlling issue is that we are to live and therefore to exert this rule as those who bear the image of God, which makes the image of God crucial. If, if the way in which we rule is to somehow reflect the rule of God, then what sort of God is this God, and what will it be like to live in his image? So let's turn to that now. The key purpose that God has for us is that he intends that we should bear his image. Let me get this. I mean, to, to bear the image of something is to, is to kind of reflect something else, isn't it? Um, uh, to, to, to be like a mirror reflecting uh, the real thing. To bear God's image also means to bring glory to him so that every part of our life is, is in some sense declaring God is great and I glorify him. Only we don't quite do that, do we? Um, we're not perfect reflections of God. We don't perfectly glorify Him. You know that and I know that. And that's why, if you look very carefully, the Bible never describes you and me as, as those who are the image of God. The language always shoves a sort of um, a word in between. Um, the Bible always says that God created mankind in his image or according to his image. Uh, every occasion in the Bible where human beings are being described in relation to the image of God, it's always according to the image, created in the image. 
But there is one person, there is one human being who is not described in that way. So that in Colossians chapter 1, the Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Or as Hebrews puts it, the Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of His being. And that fact, that finally there is one who is perfectly the image, the representation of God, has huge implications. Think, think of the mirror again, okay? You remember the mirror. Um, and you've, 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 you've probably done this. <clears throat> you've sort of done naughtiness. Um, you, you've taken a mirror and you've reflected the sun and you've, you've dazzled your teacher at school um, or, or one of your fellow pupils. Um, was I the only person who was very, very naughty at school? Um, you can do it with your watch, actually, as well, um, if you fancy doing that. Um, it's a very bad idea. No, actually, sorry. Um, yes, no. For, 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 for those who are still at school, it's a very bad idea, very dangerous. Don't do it. Okay? Um, but you, you get the idea. Well, how do you achieve that? Well, you need two things, don't you? You need a sun, and you need the mirror to, to face the sun, to catch the reflection. You, you need both of those two things if, if you're going to produce the dazzling brilliance of the sun in the reflection. Of course you are. Now, that's the reason that we read the second reading in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, because that's exactly the kind of process that's being described there. Um, there's, there's no time to, to look in detail at the passage which is in itself uh, full, of, um, full of important things. But what's happening in 2 Corinthians 3 is it's taking an episode from the Old Testament when Moses used to go into the, the tent where you could meet with God. And Moses used to come out with his face uh, shining because he'd been in the presence of God. <clears throat> and as a result, his face shone, uh, reflecting the glory of the God whose presence he'd been in. Um, and Paul, in this part of his letter, is taking that story and he's applying it to Christian experience. And he's saying that Christians can go one better. See how he phrases it? Here's what we do as Christian believers in the final verse that we read, verse 18. With unveiled faces, we contemplate the Lord's glory. And in that way, we are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You get this? Here is God's plan. If you're a Christian believer, here is God's plan for you. Nothing less than to conform you to the very likeness of Jesus Christ. To, to bear His image. And He is the image of God. And, and He wants you to, to bear His image, to increase, to being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory. That's His purpose for you through life and it will be his final purpose in eternity when you complete that process. What a, what a vocation that is, to take on the image of Jesus Christ. Uh, and that's why our commission to, to rule over creation and subdue it can never be exploitative of the environment because that wouldn't reflect Jesus. It's why our relationships with one another 
must never involve abuse of power, because that wouldn't reflect the one who came to serve. No, the way in which we are to live in relationship with one another, in relationship with the creation, is like Jesus. And the way that Jesus lived on earth was to bring glory to his Father, and that's the character of our relationship with him. So, three implications as we close. Um, First, make much of Jesus. Because the the process that Paul describes there in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 is that it's, it's in contemplating. Contemplating the Lord's glory, Jesus' glory. It's in doing that that we are transformed. We look and see how wonderful he is. We, We look and see how generously he served. We look and see how richly he loved. We look and see how self sacrificially he died. And in that contemplation, we are changed. Because you gaze upon one who is beautiful and his beauty infuses you because his love is directed towards you and you are changed by contemplating that beauty and that love. So, so here's what to do. Read some gospel. Read one of the accounts of Jesus' life. Make sure that in the In the Bible reading that you have, and I hope you have some sort of a pattern of reading the Bible privately for yourself, make sure that Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John is coming up pretty regularly. Keep coming back to read about Jesus Christ, to contemplate His loveliness, because that's a transforming power upon you. Uh, Read books about Jesus. Read John Piper's Seeing and Savoring Jesus Christ. Read Ray Ortland's Gentle and Lowly. Watch the Jesus film. Do anything that will help you to contemplate Jesus Christ, to be transformed into his image. Because if we're to reflect him, then the mirror of our hearts needs to turn and face him. And second, uh, make much of one another. Knowing that the people sat around you now, the the people who are neighbours to you at home, your work colleagues, knowing that each of those people, everyone that you meet, not a a mere mortal, no, no, but somebody made in the image of God, well, it ought to change the way that you relate to them. So here's my suggestion. Choose someone, anyone. Anyone who you could make much of in the next 24 hours. Pick somebody. Let somebody pop into your head just now or sometime between now and the end of the service. Pick somebody and then determine in the next 24 hours there will be from you to them some act of love, some gift of grace, some reflection of the kindness and goodness of Jesus Christ to that person. Be be a word you speak, a card that you write, a gesture that you make that somehow communicates the character of the love of Jesus to that person. 
And, and I do encourage you to be specific. That's why I'm saying pick somebody. Um, maybe you've seen this uh, Peanuts cartoon. I love mankind. It's people I can't stand. So it's, it's quite easy to have a sort of positive attitude towards mankind in general. Um, I'm encouraging you to pick somebody. Uh, and show some love to them in this next 24 hours. You don't have to stop after that, actually. You could do a bit more the next day as well, if you fancy. Third, make much of church. <clears throat> it's very easy. It will be very easy in this series, if we're not careful, to, um, to, to, to be sort of pulled towards a very individual view of humanity. Um, uh, you know, question, who, who am I? Or who are you? Whereas the, the Bible thinks much more corporately than that. And in the progression towards bearing the image of God, it's church that grows to be the mature manhood uh, of uh, Him who is our Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, so, uh, it, the Bible would, would, would have us think us rather than me. Um, getting to be like Jesus involves all of us. It requires a community. It's never God's intention that you should do it on your own. You need people around you to help you to do that. Um, and I want to sort of think for a moment um, and speak to those who might be thinking to yourself, well, look, in this business of, of bearing the image of God, I'm not growing great guns at the minute. My, my reflection of Jesus is not dazzling. I'm more like a torch with a worn-out battery, if I'm honest. But can, can I say that it may be that your struggle, or my struggle, is the very contribution that God would have us make. Because if you're weighed down by illness or depression or whatever life struggle is pressing down upon you, uh, you moving towards others in the community of faith with your need and with your struggle may be the very thing that the rest of us need. Because your need will remind me of my need. All of us are desperately needy creatures before God. And being willing uh, to, uh, to acknowledge our need and our struggle and to speak it to others will encourage all of us to look to the one that we all desperately need, our Saviour Christ. So make much of Christ. Uh, make much of one another. Make much of the community of faith because that's what God made us for to be a people who reflect His glory through our worship of Him and our service of one another. Uh, let me lead us in a prayer. Uh, uh, Lord God, uh, these uh, are precious things uh, to know that uh, we've been made uh, by You with a purpose, uh, to bring You glory, uh, to bear Your image, uh, to be in the world uh, as those who reflect 
uh, something of, of all that you are. Uh, and we are only able to do that uh, as we come to you, uh, learn to depend upon you, uh, as we contemplate uh, the Lord Jesus uh, and allow his glory uh, to work its way into our lives. Uh, thank you for him. Uh, help us uh, to live uh, in imitation of him. And please would you do this great work of conforming us uh, to his uh, character. Uh, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.